Hello everybody, this is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. I am going to cover in this audio, 1 Corinthians 7, verses 25 through 40. I'm going to entitle this section, Advice for the Unmarried. In our previous audio, covering the central part of 1 Corinthians 7, Paul continued with his theme of remaining as they were, the Corinthians should. He talked about remaining as they were, as single people or married people. And he talked about remaining as they were as slave or free or remaining as they were circumcised or uncircumcised in the previous verses of this chapter. And so he's continued with the same idea because of the present distress. They need to stay as they are and don't try to change their status. So in the process of this advice, he's going to give some practical marriage advice for unmarried people. Now, we need to remember in this section that this advice is for people who are under distress, who are under severe distress, actually, and it's real easy to read this passage and think that Paul's against people getting married, which, of course, is nonsense, but it's easy to think that way, so we don't want to do that. So let's start with 1 Corinthians 7:25. Paul says this, About virgins I have no command from the Lord, but I do give an opinion as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Now, when he says about virgins, what he's doing is continuing his answer to the Corinthian letter that had previously been sent to them. And so he says, okay, I'm switching topics now. I'm going to talk. You ask me about virgins, I'm going to tell you about virgins. Now, when he says virgins, there's two options as to what he means. He could mean chaste, unmarried young women, or he could mean chaste, unmarried young women and chaste, unmarried young men, both. Clark says so that it includes men, we, and we use that term virgins to refer to men a little bit too. It's mostly women, but it can be re- used to refer to men. Here's an example of how virginity can be used to refer to men in Revelation 14:4. These are the ones not defiled with women, for they have kept their virginity. Well, if men who have not been defiled with women are still virgins, that means that men can be virgins. And furthering that opinion is our next verse where Paul talks about young unmarried men. Let me point that out to you in verse 26 he says therefore i consider this to be good because of the present distress it is good for a man to remain as he is so the context is talking about men as well as women so we're going to assume it's both men and women paul says he has no command from the lord that means he hasn't had a direct revelation from the lord he hasn't read any scripture from the lord from the other apostles like matthew mark luke or john so he's given an opinion now this does not mean that it's just his opinion and it's not the lord's opinion in fact he says my opinion is given as one by who, who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. His ability to give opinions is trustworthy because he's an apostle of the Lord. His opinion means is, personally, I think that it's in, given the present distress, it's better for single people to stay unmarried. However, that's just my opinion of the circumstances. But what the Lord is doing is giving you freedom. He doesn't have an opinion about that. He has certain knowledge about that. I'm giving you freedom to marry or not marry. You make the decision. The Lord is leaving it up to you. This does not mean that he is unsure of his word from the Lord. He has a word from the Lord. Give them freedom. So this is his opinion. Is In his opinion, if he, if he had to exercise discretion in the matter, he would choose not to get married, but he's not going to force that on other people, and that comes from the Lord. And he says, my opinion is trustworthy. He was not shy about stating his standing before the Lord, and he's not, he was not shy about his apostleship or his knowledge that he was inerrantly inspired. You notice, though, that even though he's not shamefaced, he's not modest about being a trustworthy spokesman of the Lord or being trustworthy in general about the Lord, he prefaces that by, by saying it was by the Lord's mercy that he was found trustworthy. 
I give an opinion as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. So whenever Paul says something that might be considered boast, boastful about himself, he immediately says, but it's God who did it for me. That's a good thing, a good practice that we Christians should do also. It could be that the reason Paul says I give an opinion here is because he doesn't want to come off as caught sure. He wants to be diplomatic. He wants to refrain from being overbearing. Here's what Adam Clark says about this, quote, Is every way equal to such commandments? Had there been any, seeing I have received the teaching of his own spirit, the Lord's own spirit, and have obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful to this heavenly gift, so that it abides with me to lead me into all truth. In other words, that's what he means. When Paul says he's trustworthy, he is in every way equal to such commandments about marriage. Had there been any, saying that you need to get married, you need to stay single. But there haven't been, so he's just given his opinion. What he's trying to show is that he's not giving a command. He's just trying to show them they don't have to do as Paul did. It was optional. Paul, as Jameson Fawcett and Brown say, Paul is not trying to say that he is not inspired when he gives his opinion. When Paul says he's trustworthy, I'm assuming that it means that Paul, when he speaks, considers his words trustworthy. It could be, though, however, some other examples. It could be that Paul is saying he's a trustworthy minister of the gospel, which, of course, was true. He could have been saying that Paul's way of life showed honesty and integrity, and so therefore he's trustworthy. Of course, that was true. Here's another off-the-wall suggestion from John Gill. Perhaps Paul is suggesting that by remaining a virgin, he is setting an example to the Corinthians. He's saying, I'm a trustworthy guy. I'm not fornicating with anybody. I don't think that's what Paul was talking about. John Gill is a very imaginative guy. We go to 1 Corinthians 7.26. Therefore, I consider this to be good because of the present distress. What does he consider to be good? It is fine for a man to remain as he is. This is a virgin man. Somebody's not married. He's stay, stay single. Oh, that's hard advice. Now, if you ask me to interpret chapter 7, the two words that are the key to the whole interpretation of this chapter is those two words, present distress. You have to consider the context of Paul's admonitions here. He's not talking about marriage in general. If things are normal and you can find a job and support a wife, get married. He said, Paul says lots of fine things about marriage all through the scriptures. Ephesians 5, for example, he was not against marriage. This was, he was given advice for people who were under a present distress. Here's some opinions, opinions as to what the distress was. It could have been the immoral environment. The NIV study Bible suggests that. 1 Corinthians 7, 2, Paul says this, but because sexual immorality is so common, each man should have his own wife. 1 Corinthians 5, 1, it is widely reported that there is sexual immorality among you, referring to the man sleeping with his stepmother. So that was the immoral environment might have, but the problem with that, let me tell you what the problem with that is. Why would an immoral environment tell a virgin man he should remain as he is? It seems to me the immoral environment would tell a virgin man you need to get married so you won't burn with passion, so you won't be tempted to fornication. So I don't really think that's the answer. The other option about the present distress is the hostile environment and persecution. Paul says in verse 28, in two verses later, he says, However, however if you do get married, you have not sinned, and if a virgin marries, she has not sinned, but such people will have trouble in this life. He's talking about how difficult it was to be married in the current situation. It's hard to have a wife and children and to care for them in such circumstances. Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown point out that this would be particularly true in the persecutions in the run-up to AD 70. Jesus predicted that in the Olivet Discourse, there was going to be a lot of trouble. And in one of the predictions of the Olivet Discourse is there would be famine. And Agabus, the prophet, Acts 11:28, 28, 
warned of them of the severe famine throughout the Roman world that occurred during the time of Claudius. I'll read that. And then one of them named Agabus, this is Acts 11:28, stood up and predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine throughout the Roman world. This took place during the time of Claudius. Hard to feed your wife and kids in that situation. The NIV Study Bible points out that, of course, Paul's suggestions here to not get married, they don't apply to all situations and all time. Of course not. But things were tough with the Corinthians. They were probably just getting over that famine, I think, out the timing of it. I think it's a little sketchy, but it's somewhere in the 50s, and the, this letter to the Corinthians was, in, Corinthians was in the 50s, and there could have been a lot of economic distress, not to mention the persecution of the church. We've already seen that first in Acts chapter 18. So he says it is fine for a man to remain as he is. And of course, he's talking about the unmarried virgins that he referred to in the previous verse. He's not talking about married people. They ought to stay married. That would, of course, be true by default. Of course, they're supposed to stay married. And in fact, in the very next verse, Paul says that, 1 Corinthians 7:27. are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. Are you bound to a wife? Don't seek to be loosed. In other words, if you're married, don't try to get unmarried. Now, here's a little bit of evidence to show that Paul was a widower, as John Gill says, because in verse 8, Paul says, I say to the unmarried and to widows, it is good for them if they remain as I am. Widows, and Paul says, I'm like it is good for a widow to stay like I am, which implies that Paul is also a widower. He's lost his spouse to death. And right here, when he's talking about virgins that need to stay unmarried, he's not talking. He doesn't say even as I am. He, he doesn't say that he's a virgin. So that's, that's again, that's sketchy, and it takes a little bit of leaps of faith to interpret that. But it sounds like Paul had a wife previously. And remember, he was in the Sanhedrin. And it was required to have a wife when you were in the Sanhedrin. John Gill says this fact that he doesn't say remain as I am, remain a virgin even as I am because he leaves the even as I am off. This makes it seem that Paul was not referring to himself as an unmarried virgin, as John Gill says. We go to verse 27, chapter 7, 1 Corinthians. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. Again, this goes along with Paul's theme here in this chapter. It's remain as you are. Keep your current status if at all possible. Now, there's some exceptions. If you, He's going to give some exceptions here in just a minute about, well, if you really got to, go ahead and do it and get married. He also mentions the slaves. He says, stay as you are, but if you have the chance to freedom, go ahead and take it. Now, when it says, are you bound to a wife, the Greek is ambiguous there. The same Greek word means wife and woman. So it could be, are you bound to a woman? So the binding might not be marriage. It could be an engagement or betrothal, which that's okay. Don't seek to be loose from a marriage or an engagement or a betrothal. That makes sense. If that's what it means, are you loose from a wife? Well, you could be loose by being single, by having been divorced, or maybe your wife has died. But whatever your current single status is, don't go ahead and seek a wife. And if you're married, don't seek to be loose. In other words, don't try to get a divorce. That fits right in with the earlier teaching where he says if you are in married to a willing believer who's willing to stay with you, don't divorce them. Stay married. And if the unbelieving spouse leaves and they sue you for divorce, well, you're not seeking to be loosed, are you? They're doing it. So this fits in with Paul's previous instructions. We go to verse 28, 1 Corinthians 7. However, if you do get married, you have not sinned. Now, here's Paul's making his concession. He prefers, you know, in light of the present distress, not get married. But if you do get married, it's okay. You're not a sinner. And if a virgin marries, she is not sinned. So when he says, if you, he's talking about virgin men. You have not sinned. Then he mentions the women. And if a virgin marries, that's a virgin woman, she has not sinned. But such people will have trouble in this life. And I'm trying to spare you. Now, this is not talking about the troubles of being married. 
It means the persecutions and distresses that the Christians were suffering in the present distress. NIV Study Bible, John Gill, Adam Clark, and Jameson Fawcett and Brown all agree with me on that. It's not the trouble being married. Marriage is in a, a state of bliss. It's a state of happiness, assuming it's a Christian marriage and everything gets worked out properly. It's a wonderful way to live. I remember being single, and I've been married for 40-something years, and I'll tell you, there's a big difference. I would hate to be single again. Hate it. Oh, gosh. Having to go out and find a wife, getting rejected, shot down at least a thousand times. I don't want to date you, you nerd head. So, no. Being married, it just kind of settles you down, makes you happier. However, in the present distress, you're going to have a lot of trouble. Now, when Paul tells the the unmarried men and unmarried women that they have not sinned if they get married, he's probably or possibly referring to the many sects and parties in Corinth who forbade to marry these Gnostic ascetic-type sects who say, ah, sex is sinful, marriage is sinful. Well, when Paul is trying to give practical advice by telling them not to get married, it might sound like he's giving ascetic advice, which is bad. And so he explicitly states to cover himself, no, 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 you haven't sinned just because I'm telling you not to get married. If you do, you're not a sinner like these ascetics would try to tell you. Paul says, I'm trying to spare you. What he means is I'm trying to spare you from the present distress, according to Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown. Now, Augustine had an interesting take on this verse. He said that Paul is trying to spare the virgins from temptation to stay celibate. In other words, he says, if you get married, you have not sinned. And if you do get married, you'll have trouble in this life. But I'm trying to spare you from the problems of being a unmarried virgin. Those problems are is that you will be constantly tempted to lust and incontinency. And I don't want you to do that. So if you have to, in other words, if, you, if you're going to burn, go ahead and get married. I don't want to, uh, I'm trying to spare you from a lustful life of single, singleness, of celibacy. Well, Augustine would say that. I don't believe that's what Paul's talking about. Augustine, though, had a horrible time. He, he must have, I believe he had more sex with more women than Bill Clinton did. I mean, he was a playboy. The greatest Christian philosopher of the Middle Ages before he got saved was the Hugh Hefner of the ancient world. He even was getting it on with one of the sisters, a teenage girl, in church one time. I think he said in his confessions. And so he's probably a little sensitive to this area and he probably let his his experience color his interpretation of the verse i think the straightforward interpretation is i'm trying to spare you the trouble of getting married in the present distress we go to verse 29 verse 29 of first corinthians 7 and i say this brothers the time is limited so from now on those who have wives should be as though they had none so when he says i say this brothers colon the holman christian study bible puts there i say this paul is summing up his argument he says the time is limited. Well, what time are we talking about? John Gill says it's the season up to the coming of the Lord. So in other words, the coming of the Lord will be soon, so we don't need to worry so much about the troubles of being married. Now, there's another view of that. It, the view is that the time is limited before the coming of the Lord in AD 70 to destroy Jerusalem. And up until then, of course, Jesus has predicted in the Olivet Discourse that there's going to be wars, rooms of wars, famines, persecutions, all kind of bad stuff. And of course, that would be in Jerusalem, but the, you know, the same people in Jerusalem that were persecuting the Christians were the Jews, and they were persecuting the Christians in Corinth, too, as we read in Acts 18. And so there's still persecution going on. And not to mention the fact that the Romans were involved in some of it, too, in cahoots with the, with the Jews. And so Paul is saying, look, according to this view, 
the time we have before Jesus comes and delivers us from all this present distress, the present distress is limited. The time is limited. And so during this time, act as though you don't have a wife. Don't worry about getting married. Don't worry about all the material problems you're going to have by getting married. But after the time is over, you can go ahead and get married again. I like that interpretation. Of course, I'm an Orthodox putter, so I'm partial to it. Here is Jameson Fawcett and Brown's argument that this is what Paul is talking about. The time is limited until eighty seventy. Luke twenty one eight, this is the Olivet Discourse. Jesus says, Watch out that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is near. Same phrase. Paul says in First Corinthians seven twenty nine, the time is limited. Jesus says in the Olivet Discourse, the time is near. And of course Jesus in the Olivet Discourse was talking about the coming of the destruction of Jerusalem in eighty seventy. In the Mark version of the Olivet Discourse, Mark says this, quoting Jesus, Watch, be alert, for you don't know when the time is coming. So the time, the time, the time, was in the Olivet Discourse, referring to the AD 70, and so when Paul uses it, he very well could be using the same phrase, the time is limited. So Jesus is coming soon, in the morning and night and noon, but not at the end of the world. I mean, if he was talking about the end of the world, first of all, that ain't a limited amount of time. That's 2,000 plus years. Or he could have been mistaken, but then you got to say that the, uh, the inspired apostle Paul is mistaken. That doesn't that does that does not work either. But it makes sense from now on. Those who his wives should be as though they had none in this period to the run up to eighty seventy. And what does that mean? As though you had none. In other words, you're not going to be worried about taking care of a wife here. Now there's another option about what this phrase means. The time is limited. It can't be to the end of the world, of course. Although I say, of course, then I've studied Babylon John Gill suggest this as a solution but how could that be paul would have to erroneously think that jesus was coming very soon and he wouldn't do that but there's another option adam clark favors is paul is saying the time of your life is limited so act like you don't have a wife even though you do have a wife well why would you do that life is short so act like you don't have a wife no it means in the present distress don't worry about your job just try to survive don't worry about making your wife comfortable and happy. You know, just try to get through it. That makes a whole lot of sense to me. We go to verse 30 and 31, 1 Corinthians 7. Those who weep. Well, let me get the, he's in, it's in the middle of a sentence. So, and I say this, brothers, in verse 29, dot, 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 dot. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Let me do it again. 1 Corinthians 7, 29. And I say this, brothers, from now on, those who have wives should be dot 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 verse 30 as those who weep as though they did not weep you should be as those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice those who buy as though they did not possess and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it for this world in its current form is passing away now i believe when he says this world in its current form is passing away he's talking about to the jewish world the jewish synagogue world the rabbinic system Let's talk about that for a minute. Jameson Fawcett and Brown agrees with me on that. He's, he says that the world is not merely going to pass away in the future, but now is actually passing away now. Adam Clark says that the world that was passing away was the Jewish world that Paul was living in then at the time that he wrote, and this Jewish world would pass away in AD 70 at the coming of Jesus in judgment. That's Adam Clark. Let me give you a quote from Clark. Quote, but often the term cosmos, world, is taken to signify the Jewish state and polity. The destruction of this was then at hand, and this the Holy Spirit might then signify to the apostle. 
And John Gill disagrees with that. He says, or he suggests at least, that the passing of the, the, the current form of the world passing away refers to the end of the world, the end of the gospel age or the end of time. So there would be no more marriage, buying and selling, no more mourning and such at the end of time. So we need to live that way now. I don't think that's what it means at all. Because then he would, Paul would be saying we need to act like we're single for the rest of our lives and for all Christians who follow us should act like they're single even though they're married. Does that really sound like good advice to you? I don't think so. What he's saying was you've got a short period of time in this present distress. So if you cry, well, just don't cry for a long time. It's going to be over. Jesus is going to come. He's going to take care of your persecutors shortly. So weep, but act like you don't weep because you don't need to. Likewise, those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, well, you're happy about a temporal thing and happy, well, enjoy it for a short time because something bad's coming later because Jesus predicted all kinds of terrible things happening in the Olivet Discourse. Those who buy as they did not possess, you buy something can be taken away from you tomorrow in the persecution, in the present distress. Those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it, hey, you're out there making a business, making money, it could be taken away from you just like that because... The world in its current form is passing away, which means we're going through the birth, birth pangs and the, and, the, and the signs and all the run-up to the Olivet Discourse is bad, and so you can't live a normal life in this time of persecution. That makes good sense to me. Notice that when Paul says that those who are in the world should not make full use of the world, that implies that you can make some use of the world. In other words, Paul never preaches asceticism that you've got to go completely out of the world. I mean, we have to eat. I was just talking just this morning to a young Chinese Christian woman who I hadn't seen in two years when I left China, and she'd been trying to contact me for a year to tell me that she had accepted Christ, because when I last talked to her, she was totally lost. Oh my gosh, you never seen somebody so lost, so screwed up. She was trying to give her kid away, and she was miserable. She ended up being, after I found out after talking to her, she'd spent two or three months in the hospital, hospitalized for depression, and she was holed up in her apartment. They had met church with three other people th that Sunday morning because the whole nation is in lockdown because of the coronavirus. Eight Chinese doctors tried to warn the government there's a virus spread. And, of course, the government says, no, you can't say that about the precious People's Republic of China. You're spreading fake news. And so they threw the eight doctors in jail. And meanwhile, the virus spreads like crazy. She's sitting there in the midst of this. She said the streets are dead. Nobody can go out. Her church has been completely busted up. The government shut the church and the Christian school down. The foreigners who were there, most of them, all have left the country now. And she's sitting there, and she's got the biggest smile on her face. And she's teaching English online. She says, can't get a job now. Can't go out. Can't, can't leave the apartments. We're all in the quarantine. Got a big smile, talking about how happy she is. That, my friends, is how you do not make full use of the world. You use it. You you do what you need to do to get by, and then you keep on preaching the kingdom. You don't worry about this world, and that's what Paul is trying to get over, trying to tell these Christians. Now let's look at the the uh, tense form of the current the world in its current form is passing away is passing. Now that sounds like it's talking about the run up to eighty seventy because as Jameson Fawcett and Brown say the verb does not say that the form of this world shall pass away future, but is now is now actually passing away in the present. Now, that's not a slam-dunk argument, because even in English you can use the present progressive tense to, to be used for the future. For example, I am going to the store tomorrow. We say that all the time, even though it's a present tense, which is kind of an interesting artifact of English, if you ask me. Use the present tense to show the future. 
And so maybe that's what Paul is doing here. So I'm not going to say the future is the total wrong here, but it makes a whole lot more sense to me to think, as Adam Clark does, that Paul is talking about the Jewish world is passing away, and until it does, there's going to be some persecution. But when it comes, you can go ahead and get married. Won't be any problems. We go to 1 Corinthians 7.32. I want you to be without concerns. An unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. And the concerns Paul's talking about is of being married and having the, the pressures of marriage. Marriage makes you grow up. Marriage puts all kinds of responsibilities on you. That's why so many video-playing, football-watching millennials are not getting married. Or maybe they're not millennials. Now maybe they're Generation X. I don't know. Young people between 20 and 30, they're not getting married. Too much responsibility. Got to live with mama at home. 1 Corinthians 7, 33-35. But a married man is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. Now, I'm going to tell you something. That's true. When I got married, I wanted to serve God in his kingdom, but, I mean, my time was very limited. But, you know, raising kids to keep them from being depraved like the current culture is, that takes a lot of time. I mean, so, I mean, it's a good thing. You get married, you need to go into it with the eyes wide open. This is going to take a lot of commitment to make it work, and I think it's very, very important. But it's true, your interests do become divided. You have, to, you have to say, okay, Lord, I'm doing this for you so that my, my love for you and my love for my wife is not, they're not competing with one another. They're all part of the same package. But anyway, his interests are divided, Paul says, and he continues in verse 34, an unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord so that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. In other words, if she's married... She's holy in spirit, and if she's unmarried, she's holy in body. <laughs> now, that doesn't mean that it's sinful to be married. It just means that your, sep your body is separate. It's separate from sexual contact. It really does sound ascetic when you read this thing, but that's not what Paul means. She has, she has the opportunity to be sep separate from the world and dedicated and consecrated to God, which is what holy, holy means. She can do that. Not only spiritually, but also her body, her person is free to go out and do that kind of stuff. She can go to the hospitals and minister to the sick because she's not ministered to her husband. But a married woman is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And women do, good Christian women love to please their husbands. Let me tell you, they just do. It's instinctive. But it takes time to do that. And in the present distress, maybe it's not a good idea. Verse 35, now I am saying this for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you. He's saying what? He's saying, don't get married. He's saying, but I'm saying this not to put a restraint on you because of what is proper and so that you may, devoted, you may be devoted to the Lord without distraction. And of course, as Adam Clark says, these exhortations were not meant to be of general application. Rather, they're exhortations in light of the present distress. Too hard for you to take care of a husband when you're being persecuted. Persecuted. Now, when Paul says that a married woman is concerned to please her husband, he's talking about in general married women think that way of course there's some who don't care about their husband how she may please her husband there's some and there's some wives who are concerned for their husband and serve the lord well he's just making a general statement it doesn't mean it's impossible to serve your husband and god well or for a husband to serve his wife and god well at the same time when paul says in verse 35 i'm not trying to put a restraint on you because of what is proper in other words, it's proper to get married again if you want to. And so that you may be devoted to the Lord without distraction. Devoted, Jameson Fawcett Brown translates that as sitting down to the duty. You may be seated to the duty to serve the Lord. 
1 Corinthians 36 through 38. But if any man thinks he is acting improperly toward his virgin, if she is past marriageable age, and so it must be, he can do what he wants. He is not sinning. They can get married. Verse 37. But he who stands firm in his heart, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and has decided in his heart to keep his own virgin, will do well. So then he who... So then he who marries his virgin does well, but he who does not marry will do better. Now, this is, passage is deliciously ambiguous because virgin could either mean a virgin fiancé or a virgin daughter. And so Paul could be talking to fathers who are trying to get their virgin daughters married off or, or concerned about it, or he could be talking about a fiancé who has been betrothed to his fiancé, or maybe it's just a girlfriend and he wants to, to get married, but... He's not sure whether he wants to or not or whether he should or not. And in my opinion, the arguments go back and forth, and I think they're inconclusive. I don't know what the answer is. I don't care what the answer is. It doesn't really matter. Now, the NIV in their margin, they actually say, they translate it, if anyone thinks he's not treating his daughter properly, so they take a leap of faith and translate it virgin daughter. The Holman Christian Study Bible keeps it ambiguous. It says if any man thinks he is acting improperly toward his virgin, leaves, leaves it up to the humble reader to decide what Paul's talking about here. Now, there's some other options as to what, who this virgin might be. Adam Clark says it was a virgin dedicated to the service of the church. Like there was a special category, like there were widows, they were also virgins, and they helped the church. I don't think that's what it is. Here's another idea that Adam Clark says what it is. It's the state of one's own virginity. If any man thinks he is acting improperly toward his virginity, <laughs> he's... He should get married. I don't think so. I love to mention these off-the-wall interpretations just because, you know, you never know. One of them might be true. And you might decide it's true, but I don't think it is. Now, when he says that this virgin might be past marriageable age, it's because the older women got, it was harder and harder to get married. It's the same true in America, even to this day. This would be rough on her. And it might be better for her to get married even in the present distress because if she waits till the present distress is over, she's going to be older. It's going to be hard to get married, hard to have children. And in fact, if she doesn't get married, she might even be tempted to fornicate, as John Gill puts out, puts forward as an option. Now, in verse 27, 37, I'm sorry, Paul says this, He who stands firm in his heart, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will. Well, what does that mean? Well, if it's talking about Fathers who are worried about their virgins, it means he, a father can control himself and not insist that his daughter get married. If it's talking about a fiancé who has control over his own will, it means he's controlling his sexual passions, his lust, and says, we will live platonically, by golly, we will not get married in this present distress. Paul actually gives you the idea that's what he's talking about here in 1 Corinthians 7, 7. I wish that all people were just like me, but each has his own gift from God, one person in this way and another in that way. That was the so-called gift of celibacy. 1 Corinthians 7, 9, but if they do not have self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with desire. Unmarried people should marry if, they, if they're burning with desire. And again, that doesn't really say whether it's men or women burning with desire. I tend to think it's men, but it could be women too. 1 Corinthians 7.39, Paul continues, A wife is bound as long as her husband is living, but if her husband dies, she is free to, marry, to be married to anyone she wants only in the Lord. Now, of course, when Paul says a wife is bound as long as her husband is living, he's not mentioning the obvious exceptions. The two exceptions, the case of adultery, Matthew 19, Jesus said, except for sexual immorality, you're not supposed to get divorced. So there's one exception. If there's adultery, the woman is not bound. And also, 
if she has a non-believing spouse, Paul has already in the first part of chapter 7 said the unbelieving spouse can leave, let him go. So he's not mentioning the exceptions. He's talking about in general. Now, what prompted Paul to discuss this all of a sudden? Why would Paul all of a sudden in the middle of this passage say a wife is bound? Well, he remember, he's answering a letter. The Corinthians probably had asked him, well, what, what, what do we do? Like, for example, when an unbeliever spouse wants to leave, or wants to stay, excuse me, and Paul is saying, hey, she's bound. Let him stay. Let her stay. Let him or her stay if they want to stay, even though they're unbeliever. And also, they probably wanted advice, advice on this situation. What happens if the husband dies? Well, you know, in the ancient world, there was an idea that widows never remarry. I ran into this situation in China. I had a landlord one time. She was a young, late 20s young widow. And I asked her, I said, well, you're young. I'm so sorry your husband died. So, you know, you plan to get married again? She said, no. I asked another Chinese friend, why, why is she not going to get married? She's only 20-something years old. Well, because in China, women don't do that. It shows disrespect to the dead husband. Well, isn't that nice? But Paul says, no, we're not going to go that route. If a husband dies... A woman is free to be married to anyone she wants, except, as an exception, only in the Lord. So what Paul is saying here, remarriage is fine after death of a spouse, but only in the Lord. Paul means for Christians to marry Christians. I cannot emphasize that enough. In China, I saw so many violations of this because of the, the gender imbalance. There's too many women in the church and not enough men. It's disgraceful. It's awful. But Paul says, only in the Lord are people free to get married. Now, this is talking about a widowed wife, but you can make the application if somebody is a virgin, uh, I mean a, a single unmarried person, the same principle applies. In fact, Paul says in Second Corinthians 6.14, do not be mismatched with unbelievers. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? Now that passage doesn't explicitly refer to marriage. It could be referring to other sorts of associations with unbelievers, but it certainly would apply to marriage. It's certainly reasonable to apply it to marriage. And why would anybody be stupid enough to marry a non-Christian when you don't have to? Because all you are asking for is a boatload of trouble for the rest of your life. Several months ago, I had five Christian girls on the space of two weeks, people I've been trying to disciple over the Internet, Christians. And, well, some of them I've been trying to disciple. Some of them just I knew from China and they decide they're going to get, they got non-Christian boyfriends. And one of them said that she was engaged, getting ready to get married to a non-Christian. God had told her, God had a different plan for her than the Apostle Paul. So I don't talk to her anymore because I'm too ticked off. Paul is very clear. You only marry Christians, ladies and gentlemen. That's it. Now, we might want to make another point here. A lot of Christians today say that if a divorced woman is divorced, she can't, she cannot remarry. Or a divorced man is divorced, they can't remarry. He can't remarry. Well, why not? If the marriage is over, that means you're single again. Why can't you remarry? It says right here, she is free to be married to anyone she wants. And I would say that would apply to any other man or woman finding himself in a state of singlehood, however that state was arrived at. We go to verse 40, and we'll shut this audio down. Paul continues, but she is happier if she remains as she is, the widow, in my opinion. In other words, this is just stating the same thing. She's single in light of the present distress. She ought not to get married because of a lot of trouble. And I think that I also have the Spirit of God. Now again, let me mention this again. That says, when Paul says, I think, it sounds like he's not sure. But no, Paul is sure as the NIV study Bible says. But if he's so sure, why would he say think? And in my opinion, well, here's one reason. He's trying to soften his command in order to be polite. As John Gill says, he thus modestly expresses himself. Now in English, I say this, 
This is my idea. In English, we say, I believe to show certainty. For example, son, I believe I'm right about this. You shouldn't do it. We just say it to be polite, but we really do believe that we're right. We think strongly that we're right. But even though Paul is sure, he's only sure that it's optional for widows to remain single. He's not saying, I know you ought to stay single. He's saying, I know that it's optional for you to stay single. He, and he is sure that the Lord meant to give Corinthians freedom on the marriage issue. Why would she be happier if she stays single? As John Gill puts it, she will be, quote, more free from cares and less liable to trouble. She would live with more peace and quietness and be more at leisure to serve the Lord. Second marriages oftentimes proving more disagreeable than the first. I guess John Gill had some experience of that. I wouldn't know. But again, we need to once again remind ourselves this is talking about the present distress. This is not talking about marriage in general. There are plenty of places that talk about marriage being a wonderful thing. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm finished with chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians. In our next audio, we will cover the entire chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians, which talks about eating meat sacrificed to idols and that vexing questions of what about doubtful things, things that are not moral or immoral per se in themselves, but which might cause people to stumble and raise their eyebrows. I hope you stay tuned for that audio. I hope you enjoyed this one.